Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. We're in the depths of winter, certainly in the Northern Hemisphere. And if you're lucky enough to be living somewhere sunny and warm, we're all very envious. Uh, but for the rest of us, uh, we really need to think about the nutrition that we take in for winter running. And we wondered if uh, you, you're considering this at the moment. So what we thought we'd do this week is do a replay of episode 29 when we talked about nutrition for winter running. So as the days are getting darker and colder, uh, what food and nutrition uh, do you need to help keep you healthy as you run through the winter months? So in this episode, we look at the key nutrients for you to consider, uh, particularly focusing on keeping your immune system in optimal health. Um, but as well as some um, food uh, tips, we're also going to give you some practical tips to help keep you safe and warm as you head out the door on those cold winter days. We hope you enjoy the episode and we look forward to speaking to you soon. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Hi everybody, welcome. Uh, I'm Aileen and I'm here with Karen again. The key areas that we're going to uh, talk about today are the key nutrients to consider for winter running and why, uh, what the principal food sources of these nutrients are, uh, and just finally thinking about any practical and safety considerations to, t- to think about as winter uh, draws near. So, so could we start, Karen, by um, maybe you could outline what you think the key nutrients are that we should all consider for our winter running? Yeah, sure, really. So the ones that I think are important um, to consider during the winter months would be vitamin C, as I mentioned earlier, and also vitamin D, but also um, magnesium, um, the omega-3 fatty acids, and also beta glucans, which are, I know that we have discussed in the past, and I know that they're one of your favourite uh, nutrients, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny that I've got a favourite, but uh, I think it is a really good one. So yeah. yeah, I would agree. I would say those are, would be my top 
top five. Um, but I'd also um, just sort of mention that there's lots of other nutrients that are really important for the winter months. Uh, and that might vary uh, in priority uh, from person to person. But if, if we can look through these top fives and maybe discuss them, and um, let's look at them one at a time, Karen, and why they'd be cons- important to consider. So if we think about vitamin C first, um, I always think vitamin C is underrated. You know, people sort of take it for granted, but actually it's very powerful. Uh, you might have heard of it as ascorbic acid. You might see that written on labels. Um, so vitamin C is a water-soluble vitamin and it's the body has a, a limited storage capacity for vitamin C. And as a result of that, it's classified as an essential vitamin, meaning that you really have to have a regular and adequate intake and that that must be provided from your diet, so from your food, uh, because the body's unable to produce it. And, you know, I think most people would acknowledge that vitamin C's principal function is to support the immune system. Um, and that's why really it's sort of on our top five list here, because as we're all aware, you know, we are more susceptible to illnesses and infections during the winter months. So having uh, good levels of vitamin C will be very protective. Um, and also thinking about vitamin C's other um, sort of roles and actions, um, it's very important for something called free radical scavenging. So in other words, what it's doing is neutralizing the rogue molecules that are known to cause cell damage. Uh, it's a well-known antioxidant nutrient. It's good for soft tissue support and also to help with the absorption of iron. Um, is there anything else that you would add there about vitamin C, Karen? Yes, actually, Aileen, you mentioned about vitamin C being a, a well-known antioxidant and free radical scavenger. Now, this is really important for a runner because the metabolic processes of running, especially endurance running, uh, that in particular increases the production of these oxidants and free radicals in the body. And um, these oxidants and free radicals, if they're not controlled, could lead to compromised immune health and inflammation. Um, now, vitamin C, however, is known to neutralize the effect of these rogue molecules. Um, but also thinking about immune support, you mentioned, Aileen, that during the w- winter months, we are, we're all at increased risk of infection um, and illnesses. Well, runners, and again, especially distance runners, are even more susceptible to this. And they're susceptible to it at any time of the year. So clearly during the winter months, it's important that they really protect themselves because they're, they're doubly at risk of um, these infections and illnesses. So really important for runners to protect themselves from these risks through the optimal nutrition um that that we that we're always recommending really aren't we Aileen? yeah yeah but i think it's um it's a good reminder that you know we're 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 a high risk group and so we've got to really look after ourselves so yeah i'd agree with that karen and what about vitamin d um so um we've talked a lot about vitamin d in previous episodes but one of the key reasons that i think a runner would need to think about the vitamin d status during the winter is because probably most of the running could be completed during darkness. So when you take into account that many runners may work or they might have young families, then they probably tend to run early in the morning or later in the evening. So their exposure to daylight to support vitamin D synthesis is, is very limited during the winter months. I mean, we'd, we'd hope that 
their vitamin D status would be good coming into winter because of having been outdoors a lot over the, the summer months. Um, but you know, it's still, uh, we're sort of an, at, at risk because we probably, like most people, living in the dark rather than in the daylight. Yeah, I don't know about you, Elaine, but I definitely would fall into that category. You know, most of my running during the winter is completed in darkness because I do tend to go out early in the morning, get my run done before I start the day. So I don't really see much day daylight. Okay, so just thinking a bit more about vitamin D, clearly it's synonymous with bone health, but um, in recent years there there has been there have been some significant studies and evidence to sh suggest that it is also important for for a healthy immune system. You know, it is thought that vitamin D is capable of increasing the release of certain anti-inflammatory molecules, whilst at the same time inhibiting the release of some pro-inflammatory molecules. So it really has quite a powerful immune effect. Um, so that's just sort of a, a quick resume of um, of vitamin D. And if we were then to move on and have a quick look at magnesium as well, um, uh, as we know, magnesium is really important for a runner, again, at any time of the year, because it's really essential in energy production. But it's also influential in muscle relaxation, which, again, is an area we speak about um, quite a lot, Aileen, in other episodes. And during the winter months, you know, it does take so much longer for our muscles to warm up when we're running. So they are they're going to be really constricted for a longer period of time, which can potentially lead to an increased risk of injury. Um, now, this could be the case following a run um, if the if the weather is really cold. So it could be that muscle relaxation following a run will take so much longer to occur as well. So having optimal magnesium status may help to reduce the effects of this and encourage more efficient muscle relaxation, both as we move move into the run, but also at the end of the run as well. Yeah, so that's um, that's again good advice, isn't it, Karen? So cold weather can equal tight muscles. Um, so having magnesium at an optimal level is really important. Um, and I think the other um, link with magnesium is that magnesium's required for the synthesis of active vitamin D. Um, so that's another good reason to to make sure that your magnesium is optimal um, during the winter. So moving on to the essential fatty acids, Karen, especially the omega-3. Um, so we know that um, omega-3 is really important for supporting the immune system um, as it's a, a really potent anti-inflammatory nutrient. Um, and we've discussed this quite a lot. There's a numerous number of episodes that omega-3 uh, pops up. So um, episode two, when we talk about macronutrients, episode 14, when we're looking at endurance system and the immune, um, endurance running and the immune system. And then we've also talked about it in episode seven, which was about vitamins and minerals, episode 15, which was about DOMS, and episode 26, more recent one about nutrition to support soft tissue. So, um, you know, you, again, it's like one of those nutrients. If you look after it and you make sure you're optimal, it's going to have, um, effects all over, um, the, the body. Um, 
so just uh, another thing that I think is worth mentioning here, Karen, um, that people may or may not know is one of the principal ways that omega-3 exerts this anti-inflammatory influence is by um, competing and displacing other inflammatory molecules from the cell membrane. Um, so I'm thinking about um, arachidonic acid here, which is a pro-inflammatory omega-6 fatty acid molecule. Um, so that I just thought that was something that was worth raising. Yeah, absolutely, Eileen. I think what we can see here is that all of the nutrients we're discussing are known to, to support the immune system in one way or another. And the last one that we're going to mention is no different, really. So these beta-glucans that we mentioned in the beginning, they're, they're naturally occurring compounds that are produced by bacteria, by yeast, by fungi, but also um, by many plants as well. And they're known to be really potent immunomodulators. And what I mean by that is that they adapt or modulate the immune response through their action on various white blood cells. And, and the white blood cells are the ones that react to any immune trigger in the body. So I'm going to name a few. And the only reason I'm naming them is because I think the white blood cells have been spoken quite a bit recently um, because of COVID again. There've been, there's been lots of mentions of how COVID acts on different um, cells. So ones that, that people might have heard of are the macrophages, the T cells, the B cells, and also the natural, natural killer cells. So might mean nothing to some people, but it might mean something to some. Um, yeah, so, so, but as, as well as modulating the immune response, the response, beta glucans are also known to fight infection and have also been found to have some anti-cancer effects as well. So again, they are really powerful compounds. Yeah, and you said, Karen, they are my favourites, and I'm always promoting the use of them, um, you know, for, for protective measures more than anything, you know, that particularly at this time of year, you know, if you're looking at an immune supplement to help support you during the winter, uh, check out the label and, you know, you might find that there are beta glutens um, there or, you know, if you're buying supplements, um, but there are beta glucan containing foods, um, which you could include as part of your uh, winter plan. Um, so now that we're sort of starting to think about foods, Karen, maybe it's a good idea to discuss some of the food sources, the nutrients that we've, we've chatted about. Um, um, but just before we do that, I'm just thinking about the female factors. Are there any female factors that we should consider for winter running? Yeah, well, when again, going back to episode 14, Aileen, we did sort of mention, um, about the fact that, and that was the what the, the episode around the immune system, and we did mention there that we're not aware of any concrete evidence to suggest the immune system operates differently between men and women, but um, it, it has been found that um, that the immune system, um, eighty percent of all people with with autoimmune. Did I make sense there? So sorry, Alien. I'm going to say that again. So it has been found that 80% of all people with autoimmune conditions tend to be female. So if yeah. you so if you are a runner with an autoimmune condition, then supporting your immune system optimally is going to be even more important again during the winter months. 
And interestingly, mm. in an article I was reading recently, it did state that female the female immune system tends to be better at fighting off pathogens than their male co- counterparts. Now, this is because they find that men tend to be affected by parasites more often than women. So that's why they think that we are better at fighting off pathogens. But although this is the case, they, they do tend to have a stronger immune response. The article goes on to suggest that this might make them more susceptible to immune conditions such as that autoimmunity compared to males. So, so we've got a good response in one way, but it's almost like if it, if it, if it responds too much, then potentially it puts us at higher risk of an autoimmune condition. I do think there needs to be more research into this area to confirm it, but, but it made interesting reading, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, um, you know, protecting your immune system is pretty important at any yeah. time of life, uh, particularly as we were in the, the middle of the pandemic. But uh, yeah, Definitely. I think it's interesting to see how we respond in different ways. Mm-hmm. Okay, Karen. So let's uh, let's have a little roundup um, before we move on. So we've just we've talked about the five key nutrients that a, run, a runner, or indeed anybody, should consider over the winter period, but particularly if you're a runner. So we we talked about vitamin C, vitamin D, the omega three fatty acids, uh, magnesium, and also the beta glucans, and all of these will support the immune system either directly or indirectly. Um, on magnesium's got that added function of supporting muscle relaxation, which, um, would be really protective again in the cold weather. So, so let's, um, let's move on and let's talk about the food sources of these nutrients. So, well, we talked about, um, vitamin C at the beginning of our discussion. Um, so could we talk about the food sources of vitamin C first, Karen? Um, and I know that vitamin C can be found in lots of foods, um, but I think it, it's just worth reminding ourselves of where we can find the principal food sources of vitamin C. Yes, sure, Aileen. So, so it, it, it actually has been found that the, the fruit with the highest vitamin C content or ascorbic acid, whichever way you want to speak about it, is acerola. Now, acerola is also known as the Barbados cherry or the West Indian cherry because it, it the berries look like cherries. Um, however, it isn't actually a, a true berry. Now, it's known to be one of the richest natural sources of ascorbic acid in the world. Um, and its vitamin C content is supposed to be comparable only with camu camu, if you've heard of that, which is another. <laughs> I know I have heard of it. I've seen it in the powder form, but I've never used it. Now, that's another cherry like um, fruit that's known to be native to Peru and Brazil. So, so the, the, the problem with acerola is that it has a very short shelf life, um, and, and a flavor that is rather unappealing. So it tends to be in the West here. Um, it's purchased more in that powder form. Um, but, but to kind of help everybody understand it, the potency of vitamin C that it contains. It's worth mentioning that the ascorbic content is in the range of 1,500 to 4,500 milligrams per 100 
grams of of this fruit, of the acerola fruit, which is around 50 to almost 100 times more than an orange or a lemon or any of the citrus fruits. It's quite phenomenal. It is a very powerful berry. Yes, <laughs> and I guess, you know, I guess, I guess that, um, you know, we've probably all seen the acerola mentioned in um, supplement labels. Probably that's mm. where we would see it. So you can see why it would be included there. Um, but what about the foods that are more readily available? Um, the ones that are springing to my mind, Karen, are things like um, red chilies, uh, red, pe- red bell peppers, um, cruciferous vegetables like kale, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kind of things that I was talking about, including in my salads, mm-hmm. uh, green leafy vegetables, and of course, um, you know, oranges and citrus fruits as well. So like you were saying, oranges, um, you know, everybody thinks of vitamin C when they think of oranges. Um, but another comparison, um, would be to, to compare the amount of vitamin C in red chili peppers. So you get, you know, just over 360 milligrams per 100 grams for red chili peppers, whereas an orange con- contains just 50 uh, milligrams per 100 grams. So you can see that although oranges are like the popular one that we would go for, it, if we're really wanting to increase our vitamin C intake through food, oranges wouldn't be the top choice. Mm. Yeah, no, it's really true, Alien. And what I think is also worth mentioning here is that the so the UK recommended nutrient intake for vitamin C is 40 milligrams per day, which should, in theory, be quite easy to attain when you think you can get 50 milligrams from 100 grams of of um Uh, say an orange or something like that but really to optimize vitamin c levels um more than that really would be required so when you think that it's a water soluble vitamin so we're unable to store it and so we need to be taking in an optimal daily intake every day that's really important. And also, I think um, it's worth mentioning that vitamin C is destroyed by exposure to air, to air. So eating these foods really as quickly as you possibly can when they're when they're still fresh, that would be best. Or um, or maybe and ensuring that you're consuming more than the minimum of 40 milligrams per day when you think that a lot of the the potency could potentially be lost. Just ensuring that you're getting more than that minimal of 40 milligrams per day is going to be important. Yeah, I mean, I think the the minimal stuff is almost like pain lip service, I believe. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really, I don't think it really helps, helps yeah, you. Well, it's agree. probably best than not doing it at all. But okay, yes. well, let's move on to vitamin D. And the, and the food sources of vitamin D. And uh, we've, we've talked about this in the past and you've already mentioned, Karen, that uh, we make vitamin D principally through the absorption of uh, ultraviolet light, uh, sunlight through the skin. Uh, but we can get a small amount uh, from food. So I always explain to people that, you know, it, you make it through skin, but you can top up uh, your levels by eating certain foods. So, you won't get all of your vitamin D this way, but you could think about eating things like um, sardines. So canned sardines in, in oil would be good. Um, salmon and mackerel would be another good choice. So any of the, the, the sort of small 
bony fish and and also you can sometimes get vitamin d in fortified dairy foods so uh, fortified milks uh, sometimes it's added to cereals um, you can get them in eggs and, and some some cheeses as well so you know small amounts but um you know it's, it's always worth getting as much as you yeah. can Exactly. Like you say, Eileen, it's about topping it up, isn't it? And and I think that the foods that you've mentioned are the principal foods. However, you can get a substantial amount of vitamin D from cod liver oil. However, I have to say cod liver oil is a bit of an acquired taste. Um, and again, if we were to think about comparisons, one tablespoon of cod liver oil delivers 1,360 international units of vitamin D, whereas the sardines contain only 500 international units per 100 grams. So, so you can see that there's a, there's a significant difference, but it is about keeping it topped up, like you said. Mm. So, Aileen, let's um, move on and, and have a look at magnesium now. What are the principal food sources of this uh, mineral that you would consider? Yeah, well, as we said, Karen, you know, this is a really important mineral and it's necessary for all the functions in the body. And although magnesium is found in abundance in many foods, um, many people are found to be deficient. Uh, and this is often thought because people are following a typical Western diet, which is high in processed foods rather than whole foods. Um, but if you if you want to really focus on magnesium through free food, um, you could think about having sea vegetables such as kelp and dulse. Um, and although they're not readily eaten by the majority of people, you can get them in, um, you know, specialist shops and also some supermarkets. There are some really good brands. Um, you know, I often, you know, will use seaweed sprinkles and things like that on my salads. Um, that would help. Uh, other more commonly, um, eaten foods would be things like nuts and seeds, um, especially almonds and cashews, uh, grains such as buckwheat, millet and, and brown rice, um, tofu, uh, figs and apricots, and also, you know, just think dark green leafy vegetables. So, um, that would be where I would look at. Uh, for my magnesium sources from food. What about anything you'd like to add to that, Karen? Yeah, I'm just thinking about the comparisons again, Aileen. We've compared some of the others. And if we were to look at it again with the different um, food sources here, kelp contains a whopping sort of 760 milligrams per 100 grams of um, of magnesium, um, whereas almonds, which is actually quite one of the good sources of everyday foods containing, magne uh, containing magnesium, it contains 270 milligrams per 100, 100 grams. So again, quite a significant um, mm. difference there. And again, when we look at buckwheat, it contains 229 milligrams per Per hundred grams, so yeah, it's vastly different between foods. Hmm. So thinking about the UK um, RNI for magnesium, so um, the recommended nutrient intake is three hundred milligrams for men and two hundred and seventy milligrams for women. So, so this is like another slight female factor we could add in here. Um, so women require marginally less magnesium than men. Um, you know, according to the general research. Um, the reasons for this aren't, you know, totally clear. Um, some experts feel that 
magnesium requirements should be based on body weight. So suggesting something like six milligrams per kilogram of body weight, um, that might tie into why women's RNI is lower as women tend to be lighter. Um, and I think this is a bit of a generalization. And I would really think that magnesium intake should be linked to sort of environmental factors as well. You know, how much magnesium are you using up in a day because of stress, because of, um, you know, your training regime and things like that. So I, I think, um, again, optimizing it would be really, really important. Um, so Karen, we, we're sort of, uh, as usual, <laughs> running out of time. So can we, uh, take a quick look at the sources of omega-3 and beta-glucans? And um, I wondered if you could give us a few ideas for omega-3 to start with. Yeah, sure, really. So like I said, I'll, 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 I'll name a few and I'll be as brief as, uh, do just quickly as possible. So regarding um, the oily fish containing omega-3, and these are the principal sources um, that most people know about regarding um, omega-3 food sources. Now, there's an, an acronym called SMASH, and it's a really good way of remembering that the, the fish, the oily fish to consider for your omega three, your day or your weekly omega three intake, and this is the acronym SMASH stands for salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, and herring. So if you can remember that, then you'll remember the the different fish that uh, that are going to be supportive of, of omega three intake. Great. Okay, and there are, there are some other um, omega three um, sources for vegetarians and vegans. Um, so things like flaxseed, hemp seed, chia seeds, and walnuts. So um, you know, adding those in would would help too. Um, so that that's really helpful, Karen. And and we've and I like the acronym. I, I love that. I think the only one that I don't eat regularly would be herring. So maybe I should mm. try that. And force myself to treat it. <laughs> it's an appeal, I have to say, but I'm very good at all the others. Okay. So thinking about the um the R and I for um omega three, um again there there are some uh, suggested differences for men and women. So men should earn for um sixteen hundred milligrams per day, whereas the recommendation for women is eleven hundred milligrams. Um but remember these are not the optimal intake figures. So again, you know, people would need to adjust that depending on, on their health status, really. Um, so finally, let's think about the beta glucans. Um, and we talk about those, as I said, in episode 14, when we were discussing the immune system. Um, but Karen, I wonder if you could tell us about the food sources of beta glucans. Yes, of course, Aileen. So, so yeah, so you find beta-glucans in the likes of oats, barley, baker's yeast, the whole grains, and also mushrooms, for exa example, reishi, maitake and shiitake mushrooms. Um, but as well as including foods, it, a potential supplement contain, containing beta-glucans may be necessary. And I know, Aileen, you use a supplement containing, is it beta-1,3? Uh, one six glucan um, with some of your clients um, mm -hmm. because it's it's a really natural form of soluble dietary fiber and it's derived from the cell wall of baker's yeast um, and you use it because it's a pure extraction and so it doesn't contain 
enough yeast protein to cause any allergic reactions. Is that right? If I if I named that correctly, Aileen? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. That- what people need to be thinking about uh, when they're choosing um, a supplement, and and you mentioned the um, the mushrooms again. You know, it, mushrooms are really potent, so you know, having things like mushroom soup or um, you know, just using them in any kind of recipes would be really helpful. So yeah, um, yeah. great. And, and, and just also remember- the supplements too. I, I was just thinking about the mushroom medicinal mushroom supplements. I know everybody always like things. Oh, that sounds a bit woo woo, but actually there are some fantastic uh, and a lot of research on on the effectiveness of medicinal mushroom supplements, and I use them um, quite a lot with clients too. Right. Thanks for that, Aileen. So hopefully you've all found uh, learning a bit about the the various food sources for these key nutrients really helpful. So before we move on to look at some of the practical and safety considerations to think about um, as winter running draws near, we're just going to take a short advert break. So Aileen, I'm going to hand over to you again. Sorry, guys, that was (laughs) That was Bella getting tangled up in my microphone and nearly pulled it over. So I apologise. Aileen, do carry on. And just in case you don't know who Bella is, Bella's a Labrador. Yes. (laughs) She she joins us for all of our podcasts and normally she's very good. I think that's the only second time ever that she's got tangled. She's (laughs) interrupted play. (laughs) So I do apologise. Do carry on, Aileen. Okay, so as Karen said, we're going to pause for our um, short advert break, and this is the point of the episode where we we start to tell you a little bit about what we do outside of the podcast. So, um, as you know, uh, Karen and I run Runners Health Hub, and that's where we offer a range of services to help you be a fitter, faster, and stronger runner. Um, and over the past few months, we've been doing uh, quite a bit of research around the nutrition and lifestyle challenges experience predominantly by women in our Facebook group, but also with some clients. Uh, and what we realized was that the topics we're covering on a week-to-week basis are really well received and we get lots of positive feedback. But the missing link for many followers is they don't know how to put it all into practice and they would really value some direct input from us while they do it. So in recent uh, weeks, we've been busy designing our Healthy Woman, Healthy Runner method and um, we were offering a program that will be um, launching um, early in the new year. But in, in the meantime, we're offering some free training to help you. So if you're getting frustrated with any challenges, any health challenges of being a midlife runner, we'd love to invite you to our free free live online training. And we've, we've already hosted a few of these sessions and we've had great feedback and we'd love uh, to invite you to join us. So if you're interested, uh, check out the show notes in the episode um, and you'll find a link to register. But if it's easier to email us, just email us at hello at Runners Health Hub or message us and we'll send you the registration link. Um, So we'd love you to join us. And um, it's our mission to help you be a healthy woman, healthy runner for many years to come. Excellent. Thank you, Aileen. So now what we're going to do is we're going to move away from food and nutrition and start to think about some practical and safety considerations for all our winter running. And um, and I 
I do think that during the cold, dark winter months, we do need to take extra precautions when running outside, both for our safety, but also for our health as well. So so let's consider some ideas. Um, a key one that springs to mind for me is to potentially invest in a, a high vis or a reflective gilet or jacket so that you can be seen. And um and if you're like me and you run with a dog, that Bella, um, then I would really ins- think about ensuring that he or she is visible to others too. So maybe again, a reflective jacket for, for your dog or, or maybe just a, a flashing collar or something so that they can be seen. And that's what I tend to use is just a flashing collar and it, it's really bright. So, so, um, so she can be seen. Another way of maybe remaining visible to others is to wear a head torch. And I would say here, even wearing it in well-lit areas, um, I think a torch could also help prevent an injury. So because quite often it's quite dim lighting when you're out running and that could potentially lead to you missing cracks in the pavements or maybe falling over obstacles such as fallen trees or any litter that's been left lying about. So a head torch is potentially a really good investment here. How about you, Aileen? What would you what would you add to that list? Yeah, well, I I definitely suggest carrying your phone with you. I think lots of people do, but um, I think it's really important to have have a phone with you just in case you need to call family or a friend if you if you have an accident or get into any trouble. Um, always make sure it's well charged before you head out the door. Um, you could also maybe think about having a re- reflective wrist or ankle bands, which might be a cheaper alternative to a gilet or a jacket. Um, and yeah, always run in well lit areas, uh, particularly if you're running in the dark and try not to take risks. Um, you know, I think we, in the past, we've always been really conscious of personal safety. Um, but I think there's also the risk of, you know, just having an accident and making sure that you're somewhere where people can help you. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're all really good points, Alien. And, and also, you know, these sort of things are, are easy to think about, easy to implement, just to keep yourself safe and healthy. Now, if we were to sort of move on and think about the weather, um, so the cold weather as we head deeper into winter, um, I would I would suggest check, checking your running shoes, actually, just to ensure they still have good grip. You know, when was the last time you actually changed your running shoes? And I know I actually need to do this myself mm-hmm. um, because it's really important that you've got the good the good grip for those slippery paths and trails, actually. And in fact, if you do have trail shoes, because some people have um, road shoes and trail shoes, and, and maybe it's time to get your trail shoes out. Um, or maybe not yet, but in the near future, getting those out um, and and just swapping them over and using those as the heavy rain and possibly the snow starts to arrive. Um, I would also suggest wearing layers just to keep you warm because you can always take them off and tie them around your waist once you've started to warm up. And also... Um, taking or wearing a hat and having gloves mitts being really good because um they tend to be warmer than than gloves because it's skin on skin so um so so that tends to keep you much warmer than than gloves do yeah yeah all good good suggestions karen and i'd i'd also recommend take some money just in case you needed 
a taxi or, um, you know, have a, a warm drink ready for you when you finished running, you know, you, you might want to stop off and buy something on the way home. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, have that emergency contact number available just in case. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing is, you know, and I've done this so many times where I've run in when really I shouldn't have done because the weather conditions are just too extreme. And I think on those days, you really have to come up with an alternative. So think about what else you could do, a swim, um, go spinning, a tr- go to treadmill running or some indoor strength training just until you can go outside again. Um, I mean, I'm hyper aware of that because, as you know, I broke my wrist on the ice last year mm. and it, it was really scary. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. Um, yeah. So I will be extra, extra careful this year. Okay. So um, we're going to have to draw to a conclusion again, Karen. Um, so quite easily gone chatting about uh, the winter. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we've con- considered a few practical tips uh, for everybody to consider. Um, as you head out the door on those cold winter mornings. Um, and, you know, let's just do a quick roundup if we can, Karen. Um, so would you give us your key takeaways? Yeah, sure, Eileen. So so really my key takeaways from this episode would be um, there are many nutrients to consider to help keep you healthy during the winter months. Um, however, our five principal ones that we've discussed today are the vitamin C and vitamin D, the magnesium, omega-3, and also the beta-glucans. Now, these five key nutrients have many diverse roles in health and well-being, but they are all important in supporting the immune system. And we all want to be ensuring that our immune systems are in really good health as we head into into the winter months. Remember that women are more susceptible to autoimmune conditions. So a good reason to really try and maintain optimal immune health all year round, but especially during the winter months. Um, There are daily recommended nutrition intake levels for most nutrients that are set out by UK government bodies. However, these are set at levels known to prevent illness in the majority of people. They're not they're not recommended optimal intake levels. And so really we're thinking about the optimal intake of these key nutrients here. Remember that certain nutrients can be lost from food through exposure to air, but also through cooking methods and other factors. So be mindful of this when considering your daily intake of of the key nutrients for your winter running. And and just sort of moving away from the food and the nutrients and thinking about the practicalities of winter running. It is important that we take extra precautions when running outside, both for our safety and also for our health. Ensure you can see and be seen. So run in well-lit areas wherever possible. And remember, consider wearing a high-vis jacket um, or a head torch or, or both, really, when you're out running, especially in the dark. And keep warm, especially if you're going out for a really long run. Wear layers because you can always take them off and tie them around your waist. Um, and remember to take hat and gloves as well, because um, it's worth remembering that exposure of the head and face are, are thought to account for a large proportion of body heat loss. So so keeping your head covered may be important. And then finally, 
Uh, don't take risks, like Aileen was saying earlier. If the weather or environmental conditions are not conducive to safe running, then keep active by doing another sport for a short while, for example, swimming, the gym, the treadmill, until you can get back outside again. So those would be my key takeaways, Aileen. Great. So lots of key takeaways for us to think I know. What to think about for the winter. Okay. okay, well, thanks again, Karen. That really great conversation. And remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. Mm -hmm.